Man, praise God, right? Right? We got at least one. Gosh, um, he's so good. I love you, Harrison. Um, man, uh, hey, I'm glad you're here. I really am. I'm, uh, I'm excited. We as a, a church are excited. Um, I just can't believe we get to do this, man. I just This little picture of eternity that we get to stand next to each other and worship, and I just, um, man, I want... I want the Lord to take me deeper. I want the Lord to take us deeper. And we're going to get into his word to do that. So um, let's get after it. Uh, we are going through a series in Luke is where, where we've been and that's where we're going. And we just say, what we, what we said at this church is we believe in the word of God. We believe the word of God is powerful. We don't need fancy speakers or funny stories. We need the word of God. And so um, we just decided, man, for this first series of Renovate this season, let's just preach the gospel of Luke. So that's what we're jumping into. Um, last week, Tyler Durham, which we affectionately call the professor around here, um, hoping that'll connect, guys. So just y'all keep saying it, the professor. It's a great nickname. I really feel like that fits him. Um, but uh, the professor last week, he, uh, he preached from Luke 4. And kind of the question he posed to us um, was in Luke 4, this picture of who is Jesus? Right? Who does Jesus say he is? Who do we say he is? And the answer to that question is going to be the rest of the series. Right, we're going through Luke, it's Jesus and his mission. And so we're going to be unpacking that question for the rest of the series and probably, honestly, for hopefully all of us for the rest of our lives. And so the answer to who Jesus is isn't going to be tied up in a nice little 30-minute bow uh, tonight. But we are going to zoom in in the next chapter of Luke, in Luke chapter 5, and we are going to um, really look at some characteristics of Christ that's going to start to shape and chisel, and we're going to start to see Jesus Christ show through of who the real and risen Lord is. And I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm expectant about that. This passage and the, the narratives that I'm going to get to preach from today that we read in Luke have been so... Um, Man, it's just so cool for me to be in for the last week and how it's challenged and convicted and um, just made me fall in love with this Jesus more and more. And so I'm expectant. I have zero ability, though, to convince you of that. Zero. Zero skill. My skill level as a communicator is far inadequate to be able to do that. But I, I think the Lord's going to do some cool stuff tonight. I believe he is. And so, um, man, I, w- I would like for you guys to pray with me and, and let's beg for that. Father, uh, we are expectant, and we want to go deeper, and we want um, oceans to not just be a song we sing and enjoy singing, but Lord, that really you would take our faith deeper. Um, God, show us who you are tonight. Uh, You have the power to do that, your Holy Spirit, and so with the Holy Spirit, your presence be so rich as as the word of God is preached that we would see and fall in love with the compassionate Christ that you are and our lives would never be the same because of it. God, bless us in that way so that we might glorify you in the life that you give us here on earth. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, Um, Luke 5 is where we're going to be at. Um, We're going to ask the question, uh, we're going to ask the question, what does Jesus love and how? So as we're reading through these stories, we're going to look at what does Jesus love and then how does he love these things that he loves. Uh, a lot of people are going to preach the section that I'm going to preach, and it's miracles. It's all these incredible miracles that Jesus is doing. And I think they're right to preach this, but they're going to really hone in on these miracles show Jesus' authority, which is absolutely true. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over brokenness. But I want to take us in a little bit of a different angle. I want us to look at kind of the peripheral of what is happening in, in this Gospel of Luke and answer the question, 
answer these questions, who he loves, who our Jesus loves, and how he loves them, right? And as we answer those things, we're going to see who Jesus is as we answer those things. And that works in our life. Uh, We will be able to determine a lot about each other and ourselves when we ask the question, man, what do we love and how do we love it? Let me illustrate. Uh, I was talking to Casey on the roof of a friend's house. Yes, that sounds weird, right? Like that doesn't, as I was saying, I was like, people don't normally hang out on roofs. It's normal, okay? Just trust me, this friend has a cool roof. Um, So we're hanging out on the roof and we were talking about this idol that we both had. I have an idol of the Cowboys, right? And he's had this struggle of uh, English Premier League soccer. And we're talking about, man, we've seen, I know, right? Ridiculous. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's not even American. Anyway, so we have this whole... We have, we have this whole thing where, uh, honestly, man, when the Cowboys used to lose, like, I would lose joy. Like, my joy for the week would be just vanquished. And I'd be in the dumps, and I'd go to a worship service, and I'd be like, God, where are you? You know, <laughs> that kind of dramatic. And Casey was like, dude, I was the same way. And we're growing, right? We're growing. It helps because the Cowboys win a lot more now. But it also, I'm, I'm growing. I'm getting there. Another illustration. So you can see, oh man, I love, what I love is Cowboys, what, what Casey loves is English Premier League, and you can kind of see symptoms of how we love that, and maybe some dysfunction. Got another one. There was a young man on our staff named Joshua Story. He preached a couple weeks ago, incredible guy, godly man, you know, intelligent, godly, funny, single, disease-free, great guy. <laughs> at, at least I'm pretty sure he's disease-free. I haven't verified that. Most likely disease-free. Awesome guy, Right? Josh, I love him. So he's got this thing, right? He's got this thing in him because he went to a school called Texas A&M, right? Okay, you are what I'm talking about right now. You are the problem that I'm illustrating right now, okay? You people, right? Like, you people, like, you, you make weird noises at random times. I've been to your weddings. Like, I've been to weddings that you guys have, and you've got, like, swords, and people walk through them, and you've got, and in, and in big group settings, like, 30,000 strangers all start repeating the same chant, and, like, somebody says something, and you say something. That's a cult. <laughs> that's what that's called. That is Mormonism, and then Aggies is right. It's just this. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But there's this love, right? There's this, yeah, that's probably a thing. I don't know what that is, right? Get your evilness out of here. Um, <laughs> um, no, no, that's what we're going to hear about. The compassion of Christ. Even you, even you are welcome in this place, right? <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I tease you guys because you can handle it, right? If it was like Baylor fans, they would all weep and be like, it's super sensitive. Uh, who have I not offended yet? Who is the, I guess, the, the horned frogs? Anyway. Okay, so my point is this, right? My point is what we love, what we love, and how, by the way, my wife went to AM, so we're cool. She was a two percenter, but she still went there, and so we're okay. Um, I don't know what that means. That's, an, that's a snake sound? Is that what's happening? All right. Um, okay, I don't want to know. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know your wicked ways. <clears throat> what we love and how we love says everything about us. What we love and how we love that says everything about us. That's what we're going to see about Christ. Let's look at what he loves, who he loves, and how he loves them. Luke chapter 5. Man, if you don't have your Bible or you don't have the app or you just want to have it in your hand, there's a Bible under the seat uh, in front of you. So flip that thing out and it's Luke chapter 5. And I'm also going to have it up on the screen. So if it's distracting to try to read along, that's fine. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. 
And we're gonna, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at these three stories of Jesus Christ and what the historical Jesus Christ did and Luke's account of them and look at um, who he loved and how. So verse 12. <clears throat> While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he, cha- and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself before the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report of him went around, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Man, who does Jesus love and how does he love them? This man with leprosy comes to Jesus. There's a crowd around him, and a man with leprosy walks up to Jesus and says, please heal me. Not will, not if you, but you can heal me, please do it. Uh, leprosy in this time um, is something that is such a stigma. I did a, a little research. There's a guy named uh, Ken, Ken Baugh. He's a pastor and a scholar and all those kind of things. And he did some research on the context of what leprosy looked like. Let me, let me read kind of what we're talking about. This person who Jesus is showing this love and compassion to. Leprosy begins with a sense of tiredness and pain in the joints. And then slowly over time, scaly white patches of dry and dying skin appear on the person's face, hands, and arm. Then the person knows they have an incurable disease. So then they realize, okay, this isn't going away. Eventually, these scaly white patches of skin develop into lumps on the face that render the person unrecognizable because of how grotesque their face becomes. These lumps then burst and emit a foul stench. As time progresses... Their eyebrows fall off. Their vocal cords are ulcerated so that their voice becomes raspy and breathing was heavy and wheezy. The final stages of the disease caused the loss of feeling in the fingers and toes. And then all the mental faculties began to fail as lepers slipped into comas and then they died. This is leprosy. And this man... Covered in, we don't know if he's got a family and kids that he's been isolated from. He comes up to Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and he comes up to him and he says, heal me. Heal me. Please have compassion on me. I know you can. Heal me. And look what Jesus does in verse 13. And Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus heals people who aren't even in the room. Right? We've got accounts of people saying, hey, Jesus, will you heal my servant? He's back home. He's really sick. He's on his deathbed. And Jesus is like, no problem. He's healed. By the time you get home, you'll see he's up and, and walking around. A woman touches the hem of his garment, and she is healed. But a man with leprosy walks up, and our Savior, our, this Jesus, our Jesus, in Luke 5, verse 12 and 13, he puts his hands on that leper skin falling off and, and boils on his face and puts his hands on that leper. Not just, he's not just physically unclean. Socially, in this time, he was a complete outcast. Morally, be, leprosy was believed to be a, a result of deep sin that God was punishing you for. And they, there are some stories of people who were forced to wear bells around their neck so that when they walked around town, people could hear that a leper was coming and they could hide their kids and, and sneak away and, and not be around a leper so that they might not get contaminated by that evil, gross, unwanted 
sinful, disgusting person. And Jesus does what? He puts his hands on them. And the Greek word for when he, when he lays his hands on them isn't like he touches them on the forehead or on the shoulder. It's he takes hold of. And so we see Jesus, who he loves and how he loves them, touch, I just picture Jesus Christ touching this man's face and arm and saying, I will be healed. That's our Jesus. Who does he love and how does he love them? He loves the unwanted. He loves the people that society say, oh my gosh, please stay away. He loves the ugly and the grotesque and the unwanted and the ruined. And he loves them by restoring them. He restored that man. He restores the unwanted to himself, to cleanliness. Now, how, does, how does that play out in today? Me, this room, filled with people who I know if you're honest with yourself, when you're alone, when you're not extroverted around people, feel like, man, I am ruined. I am ruined, man. I have made mistakes. I have, um, oh man, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you've been abused in some way. And you feel like, man, I've been abused. I'm ruined. Maybe uh, you, because of circumstances that you have chosen to step into, have, have given away things that you didn't really want to give away. Um, maybe you're, you're, you're just stuck in that place. Um, Jesus loves the unwanted. And he restores them. I sat Saturday afternoon and listened to my wife sit before a room of freshman girls at this freshman retreat that TCU does called Exodus. And she sat there and she told freshman women how they are not ruined. And my wife is um, an incredible woman. She loves the Lord and even more than her love for the Lord, Jesus loves her, man. The Holy Spirit is all over uh, that girl. And um, her, our second date, she came to me on our second date and she just started weeping. It was at the end of the date and um, she pulled me aside and just started weeping. And, uh, and my wife said, hey, um, man, I had this high school boyfriend. And, man, I'm, I, I've lost my virginity. And I've gone down this road. And I have done this and this and this. And she's, she's telling me, and I'm this, you know, missionary kid and good kid and saving myself for marriage and all those things. And, and, and my girl that I was dating, second date, is sitting there, this beautiful daughter of the king, believing this lie that she's ruined and I remember looking at her as a 19-year-old and the Holy Spirit being all over that girl and just saying, man, she is not ruined at all. And she's believing a lie, but that is not her. That is not her identity because of who she is in Christ. And she is not ruined at all. She is this new creation. And yet I know some of you brothers and sisters in this room are walking around with that baggage. And you say, yeah, I know God's grace is there for me, but there's still this... There's still some scales that I'm, you know, they're just consequences of my sin. And sin has consequences, but it doesn't ruin. And, and our God is a God that restores. He restores what is broken and what is ruined and what is unwanted. And that's who our God loves. Our God loves the outsider. He loves the one that people push aside. He loves the person who might believe in this room that they're ruined, but it's not true. And Christ would lay his hands on you in the midst of your sin and in the deepest parts of your sin and say, man, you are healed. I'm going to restore you. Gosh, that's good. Okay, we're going to circle back around to that one because that's good. Um, okay, next, next verse. Flip over. 17. On those days, as he was teaching, 
Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowds, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And then verse 21, we start seeing the, the, the people start whispering. The scribes and the Pharisees, they began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is incredible. God's miracle here, Jesus' miracle here, packed house, right? Picture Jesus on the couch, full of people, right? Every nook and cranny, all the seats have been long taken. You got people standing in the hallways and the aisles. You got people crowding in the windows, peeking in. And then other people just hoping to maybe hear what Jesus is talking about in the house. I mean, just too packed to get in. And then here you've got some men, we, probably two or three or four men, and they're carrying a paralytic. Right? They're carrying this paralyzed friend of theirs to Jesus. And they can't get in. Right? Not even one, one boy could sneak in. So they're not going to be able to carry this bed in. They're like, man, let's get up on the roof and let's go through the roof. They take him. They put him through the roof and lower him before Jesus. That is gutsy, first of all. I mean, that is some gutsy, gutsy stuff. Just the idea of, first of all, ripping up somebody's roof. That's messed up. Right? The boldness of that is pretty crazy. Right? Like the homeowner's like, this sucks, man. I hope this is insured. Lowering him. And Jesus says what? Jesus says, you are healed. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals this man. Um, Something that just stands out to me. There's so much here, right? So much about the authority of God and him proclaiming, this is why I'm doing it this way, so that you might see who the Son of Man is. Jesus, who does he love here? He loves the broken. He loves the broken, and how does he love them? He heals them. He loves the broken, and he heals them. Man, okay, so if if you are living this life where things just don't work, and I'm preaching to the choir on this one, your life just doesn't work. This brokenness where I, I feel like, man, the function of how I'm supposed to live my life, and then what actually happens is a, is a pretty big chasm between it. Man, I've got friends in this room I know who struggle with anxiety struggle with depression. And it's not something that they wake up and choose to struggle with. And it's not a choice. It's like, yeah, and it's not because the cowboys lost or something trivial or something trite. It is a weight over them that doesn't seem to lift. And there is just brokenness over that. And they can't shake that anxiety and they can't shake that depression. Maybe it's addiction. Man, there's just this addiction and you're just, you're paralyzed by it. And you can't get out of it. And you're this person that says, man, I want to, I want to, but I'm broke. My, my knees don't work right. My le- I can't escape this sin. I'm shackled. Um, addiction, maybe it's an eating disorder. 
And when you look in the mirror, you don't see who you really are. You see this warped image and you can't stop this thing that you're trying to break free from and you get a little victory and then you get drawn back. That is who Jesus loves. That he loves the broken. He loves the paralyzed. And what, how does he love them? He heals them. That is the hope we have in Christ Jesus. We have a God who loves that broken, jacked up, doesn't work, doesn't fit, doesn't, can't free ourselves, and he says, no, you're paralyzed. You can't do anything, but this is a God who heals. That is our Jesus. That is my Jesus. That is the Jesus of Luke. Okay, one more picture. Verse 27. Next verse. So he's healed this leper, he's healed this paralytic. And then after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled. The same people were grumbling in the last house. Now they're grumbling again, and they're grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And listen to what Jesus says in verse 31. Underline it if it's your Bible. If it's not your Bible, you can underline it too. He says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Tax collectors in this time, um, man, that, those people, this person, this guy named Levi, who Jesus calls and says, you, you're going to be my boy. You're going to follow me. You're going to be in relationship with me, Jesus. See, all the, see how popular I am? You. I want you. I love you. I'm accepting you. <clears throat> Tax collectors, man, they were thieves and money grubby. They, they, represented, they represented wicked sinners. Imagine our country, because this was the context that was happening in Jesus' time. Imagine America being overtaken by a foreign power, right? So a foreign country comes, invades us, and they keep us captive, right? Uh, They'd probably have to just nuke Texas, because we all have guns. But after they nuke Texas, right, then they've just got us captive, and we've got to do whatever they say to do, and they've got all the weapons, and we're just under martial law, and we've got to have a curfew. And uh, realize that, p- picture that culture for yourself. You've lost loved ones and probably this huge war, this you know, rebellion where we're trying to free ourselves, and, and your friends and your family members have been killed, and this government is still just bearing down. This was Rome, bearing down uh, on the Israelites in, in Jesus' time. And then what they did was they were like, hey, you're an American, um, you're, you're, a, you're a Hebrew, you're a Jew in the context of the Roman army. We want you to work for us. We want you to be a traitor, essentially. And we want you to go to all of your Hebrew buddies, your Israelite buddies, your Jewish buddies, and we want you to collect money for us so that we can stock our armies even more. That's what tax collectors were. They were these people who, the oppressive government who had killed your parents and your grandparents and, and battled, they had then... Those are people who said, I'm just going to side with the bad guys. And not only am I going to collect taxes for them, but I'm going to collect extra money for myself. And that's what they were known to do. Was, hey, you owe act, you know, maybe $100 that you owe, but I'm going to say you owe 200 because I, this is how I make my money. And so they were stealing from their own people and representing the government that had murdered them and committed genocide towards them. And that is who Jesus walks up to and says, you, tax collector, You're going to be my boy. 
you're going to be my boy, and you're going to, we're going to have a relationship, and you're going to sit at my lunch table, and we're going to go hang out. And then he feasts with them, and he parties with them. And obviously the religious people are like, what the heck are you doing, Jesus? Why is he spending all this time with sinners and tax collectors? And then Jesus drops that bomb and says, man, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Make no mistake, there is repentance involved in this. There is a turning from sin and mistakes. But he says, those are the people whom I'm going to love, whom I'm going to call to follow me. Who does he love and how does he do it? He loves the sinner. Our Jesus loves the sinner, the cheater, the liar, the wicked, and he loves them and he accepts them. Just straight up, he says, you are welcome. Man, these are people who steal and they hurt us. They're the people you don't like. Not just you don't love. These are the people in your category, in my category. I just don't like them, right? I don't like being around them. They frustrate me. They steal from me. They bully me. These are the people who Jesus Christ loves. Um, picture with me um, four tables, right? Four lunch tables. Um, so picture a high school cafeteria. You've got a table, and you've got a table of, uh, man, of, of the girl who just never got invited to a dance. All of high school. Just never got invited. Um, and, uh, and, and, that's, and that's sad, and that's heartbreaking. And then you, you've got at that same table, um, man, the, the person who got stereotyped in junior high as that kid and then just never got freed from it, that person at the table. And you got the people who, man, you'd be embarrassed to be friends with. And you got the people who, gosh, if they get upgraded to a different table, they are definitely leaving that table because that is the table, man, that's the unwanted table. Man, that's the lepers, right? That's the people It's like, oh, gosh, yikes, right? They're the people that a lot of us don't even notice, and, and they would love in lunch to just disappear. Right? I'm unwanted, so just don't notice me. And man, if their friend is sick that day or doesn't come to school that day, then they're sitting by themselves at lunch because that was their one ally. You got that table. <clears throat> and, then, uh, and then you got the table. And then you got this, uh, gosh, my heart breaks for the table. Then, um, then you've, you've got uh, the, the lepers. And then, man, you've got this table of uh, helpless People who were stuck in addiction. People who um, were those kids who, who couldn't shake their habits. And maybe they're paralyzed by depression and they're paralyzed by anxiety and they can't help. And it's, you're just treading water in your life and, you can't, and you're, just, you're helpless and you're broken. And you, it's, this thing isn't working right now. Your life isn't working right now. And you just, you just, you just want to disappear. And then you've got this table of the sinners, man. These are the kids that you don't even like. These are the kids that, uh, for good reason, you don't like. They cheat, uh, they steal, they're bullies, uh, they cheat, but also they're the quickest ones to throw you under the bus, right? They're those kids. And then you've got this table, um, man, and th- these are the people who, uh, they're at church every Wednesday night, probably, and they're um, in a small group and leading a small group, and they're, they're religious, and um, maybe, hopefully, they really do love the Lord, but... Um, Maybe they don't really fully love them because uh, they look at those tables, especially the center table, and say, man, praise God that I'm not there. Praise God that my family life, praise God that I'm not making those decisions. Praise God that, man, I've got more friends. Praise, I'm going to stay at my table. Thank God that I've got these friends and, man, we've got all this in common. And those tables in our world, 
Jesus is sitting at three out of four of those tables. All throughout Luke, we're going to see him constantly love the marginalized, love the sinner, love the people that everyone else rejects. The only table he doesn't get along to is the self-righteous. Those who say, no, no, not for me. This isn't, yeah, I'm, I'm good. This is great. I love worshiping, but this doesn't necessarily apply to me. I hope someone else hears this. That is who our God, um, that's the only table he doesn't sit with. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's what I want to ask uh, believers in this room, people who, who are following Christ. Are you at the self-righteous table? Because I think in my experience, from my own personal life, my tendency, because of my upbringing, because of my sin, because of my flesh, because of my jacked up eyesight and how I see the world, is to say, man, praise God I'm not this, praise God I'm not that. Now, normally people wouldn't say, oh, yes, of course, I'm at that table, right? They'd say, no, no, man, preach it, man, yeah, the self-righteous. But maybe, maybe that's us. Maybe we really do need to check our heart. So I want to ask a question to probe that out, to say, okay, how do you answer this question? And it might determine who you really love and how you love them. Because nobody wants to admit they're at the self-righteous table, but who do you love and how? The paralytic. I mean, that story, he's got friends who love him well. I mean, think of that. These, these guys, three or four guys, they are dragging this man to Jesus. They have taken their friend who is broken, broken. I mean, what kind, what kind of benefit do they even have with that person? Right? It didn't say this person's mom and dad are dragging them. These are, his friends are dragging them. They get nothing from this friendship, but they love this man enough to drag him. They can't fight through the crowd. They say, okay, let's get on the roof. The amount of embarrassment and awkwardness of just taking apart a guy's roof and moving some shingles and lowering him through, especially, right? What if Jesus is like, whoa, how disrespectful is that? Woe to you. And he turns them into fig trees or something, right? Like this is lowering them into the, into the God of the universe because why? They love so radically. How do they love? Who do they love? They love the broken. And how do they do it? They drag the broken to the only source that they know this is where he will get healed. So we're going to be exhausted and push through a sweaty crowd and fight to get our friend before the only one who can heal him. Who are you doing that with in your life? Man, who are you dragging before Jesus because you know that he is the only hope they have? I mean, really bottom shelf, how many people do you invite to Sunday, to Wednesday night to hear Jesus, the only healer, and worship this good God and hear the gospel. How many people, I mean, just tangibly, how many people have you invited? Or is this something that's like, well, this is kind of a me thing or me and my Christian, me and my Christian religious table thing. I'm not necessarily going to invite these sinners or necessarily these unwanted or, gosh, I'm definitely not going to invite that work, that, that guy from work that I cannot wait to be out of his presence. That guy that I do not like being with. There's no, and that's just inviting them to some service that, how are you pouring your life out for people? Nobody wants to think we're at the self-righteous table. Who are you dragging before Jesus then? Who are you potentially embarrassing yourself because you are so passionate, because you love the way Christ loves to get them in front of Jesus Christ? Um, the tax collector. Man, how, how do you love? Who do you love? How much of your time is spent with non-believers and sinners? Real practically, think in your mind how much of your time is spent with non-believers and sinners and it work doesn't count. And 
unintentional time doesn't count. Times it's like, yeah, you know, this guy's a non-Christian. We hang out because we get along. No, no. People that you spend time with that you don't like. How much of our time is spent with people we don't like? It's, it's convicting to me. I want to surround myself with people at my table that I like, that I get along with, that look like me, that, that I want to look like. That, that's who I want to surround myself with. Why would I want to surround myself with somebody that I don't like? Because that's what Jesus did with me. And I'm constantly convicted. I work at a church. I work with Christians. I, who am I giving away my life for in that way? If you look around and everybody looks like you, then you're in a bunch of relationships that you don't really need Jesus for. Because we get along anyway. Why do we need Jesus at the center of these relationships? They're just friends. We get along. Like We could be atheists and still get along great with these people. Why did Jesus have to die and raise from the dead in order for you to be friends with that person? And if you don't have those relationships, I, wanna, I want the Lord to convict you tonight and say, I think you're missing out on Jesus and his mission. Um, a couple of, uh, this was probably about nine months ago, renovate, and this is going to hit close to home to a few people. We, we love you. <clears throat> We're glad you're here. But renovate, Tyler said, hey man, let's, let's stop carding people. Let's expand these boundaries. Let's bring in college. Let's bring in young couples. Let's not make this just a kind of this singles table. Let's really expand and say, man, all people are welcome here. We don't care your age. We don't care. Like we want this to be for young adults. And there was feedback, not a lot, but maybe a person or two that's like, man, I don't want college kids in here with me. Like, this is my thing. I don't relate to a college kid. What if they have some, I don't know, they're coming with their backpacks and, like, yoga pants. Like, I don't want college kids in here. Right? And we had this, like, and it was this, it was this perspective that, that I am guilty of all the time, guys. I am guilty of this all the time. But it's something that I want the Lord to, when, it, when I see it, I want him to grab me. Or I want somebody like Tyler to grab me and say, hey, what are you doing? This isn't about you. This isn't about what I want. This isn't about how I can have this cool community on Wednesday night of a bunch of people who look like each other and we're all great and we say, man, we're doing good and we could grow a little bit and man, praise God we're not like those people and praise God we're not like those people and thank God this good, goodness that I can get away from that person at work. That's great, but that's not Christ. Right? That's a country club. That's the world, but that's not Christian community. Man, college students... I see it rampant in college campuses. Sororities and fraternities are all built around the idea of, I want people that look like me and are like me, and, fit, and I don't want these people, and so we rank people, and we say, oh, no, no bids for you. And, and it, is, it, is, it is destructive, and it is not Christ-like. And I see it at young couples. Right? I talk to people, or I hear people say, man, you know, I just got married, and this little community that God's building with, with me and my family, I just I think we really just need to focus on ourselves right now. You know, so the next couple of years, we're just going to kind of back out of some of the community, some of the service stuff we're doing, and we're just going to focus on being a married couple for a while and just really building us. Man, I am all about boundaries. I'm all about married couples setting healthy habits and patterns in their marriage relationship where they're not burned out and spread too thin and not abiding and not getting quality time. All about it. But man, if that's the sentiment of, well, we're just going to work on our own little thing. Well, that's not the purpose of your marriage. So I don't know what you're working on it to build, but the purpose of your marriage is not so that you have this cool inward connection with one other person. It's so that you have a partner who you can go do ministry with and be on mission with and invite people into your life. And because you think this partner is going to spur you on to more good works and bring sanctification and you're going to spur them on for good works and you're going to go do mission together. And so when we say things like, well, we're just going to focus on our marriage right now and we're going to stop serving in these areas. 
I love you. I love you. I love the, I love the person who doesn't want this. and who, I love you. You're welcome here. Just hear from Christ tonight that that's not him. That's not his community. Man, may that be conviction from the Lord for all of us, including me. Um, how many people who are hard to love, hard to like, do you spend time with? If you're only spending time with those people uh, you like spending time with, then you're not following Jesus' example. Let me say that again. If you're only spending time with people you like spending time with, I, I get that that sounds insane and countercultural, but if all the people you hang out with are the people you like hanging out with, you're not following Jesus' example. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous but the sinner. Man, would that be our motto? Would that be the Jesus we know and love and follow? Um, the reason also, I wanna, this last thing I want to say over you guys, um, the reason that maybe we, I say we, are not loving people well, as well as Christ is calling us to, the reason maybe some of us are, are not branching out is not because you didn't hear somebody on stage tell you to go love the marginalized. Because I know you did. Right? If you've ever been to church before, if you've ever been to Renovate before, you heard us, yeah, we got to love the marginalized. That's what we're all about. And let's be disciples who make disciples. And it's not because you didn't hear it. The reason we're not loving people the way Christ calls us to is because we don't know Jesus enough. Let me say that again. The reason you, I, am not loving people the way Christ calls us to is because we don't know Jesus enough. And I believe staring at the face of Christ tonight in the Gospel of Luke, digging through it, being in Scripture, being in His Word, and falling in love with who He is and who He loves and how He loves people, that should transform our lives in this radical way. And this cultural Christianity that some people can, can just mark, mark the box on just won't fit because we are loving the way Christ has loved us. And let me land on this. Let me land the plane on this. To the unwanted in the room, to the person who thinks they're ruined in this room, gone too far, messed up too bad, to the sinner, to the person who feels broken by their anxiety, broken by their depression, this thing doesn't work, hard time getting out of bed, hard time going to sleep, the person who just feels like, man, if people knew how much of a sinner I was, I would not be welcome in this place. He doesn't want us to stay there, but he wants to restore us. That is our God, our God, our Jesus, who a leper comes and says, heal me. And he puts his hand on that leper. And he puts his hand on that ruined person. And he says, you're healed. If you hear anything tonight, I want you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the God of the universe said, I love you. And we should respond if we are in a proper mind to say, I am not worthy of your love. I know me. I am, a, I am this, I am this, I am this. I am not worthy. And that God of the universe says, no, 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 no. You're not listening to me tonight. I love you. I love you because you think you're ruined. I love you because you're unwanted. I love you as a sinner. I love you. And I'm going to heal you and I'm going to restore you. And that's who Jesus says he is. That's who our Christ is and that's who we worship. And if that doesn't change us, if that doesn't change us to love other people, then we need to go back and stare at Jesus longer. And tonight you need to do business with the Lord. And as you worship and you hear this God who wants to restore you and this God who wants to change your life and this God who loves you, then man, would the Holy Spirit convict you of how passionate he is about you. 
and the self-righteous in this room, including myself, man, would those, would those scales fall off our eyes? That is the heartbeat of Christ. That is a picture in chapter 5 of Luke of who he is and what his mission is. Man, let me pray over you. Father, you're so good. We love you so much. Father, this is, um, this is a lot. Um, but we trust you, God. And, um, and would you speak to us? Would this not be um, my ramblings, but would this be your face tonight? And would we see a God who loves us and wants to restore us and wants to bring healing to us and wants to just accept us and party with us and feast with us and be in relationship with us. That's the God we get to approach tonight. And that's the God who is available through Christ Jesus for this lost and dying and broken and unwanted world. Lord, may we be ambassadors in the name of Jesus. Amen.